Good morning. It's good to be with you guys on this Sunday morning. You know, for the past few weeks, if you have been with us, we have been going through the minor prophets. And if you're honest with yourself, and I want you to be honest with yourself, you've had to look up at least one of these books in the table of contents in order to find where it is. I know Obadiah is not in your daily devotionals too often. Um, It's been a really tough series. and, And sometimes not only is it hard finding these books in the Bible, but sometimes it's hard to see what God God is doing in the midst of these minor prophets. It's not always plainly clear. Even in Jonah, a story that we have heard, if you grew up in the church over and over again, you've probably watched Veggie Tales about it. Even Jonah, when it gets to the core of it, it's a hard book to understand. It's an unclear message at first when you, when you just first dive into it. Without diving quickly into the book just yet, you probably know the story of Jonah. Jonah was, was, was a man who was called by God to go preach to the, to the people in Nineveh to, to turn and repent. And he said, no God, I'm good, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to run the other direction. And so he went all the way to, to Tarshish. And, and when he got to Tarshish, he, uh, or before he got to Tarshish, I should say, a big storm came and the sailors on the, on the ship said, okay, what are we going to do here? And Jonah says, throw me overboard because I, I am the cause of this. And so they throw him overboard and where does he end up? Of course, in the belly of a big fish. It's not a whale, people, it's a fish. All right, and so he ends up in this in this big the belly of a fish, and and then God he prays to God, and God in, in the whale or excuse me, and the fish spits out Jonah onto the onto the sea, and he goes and he preaches the most powerful, convicting eight word sermon anyone has ever preached, and it went like this: it went yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's all Jonah had to say, and the whole the whole city of Nineveh turned and repented to the Lord. Man, if I could preach an eight eight word sermon that did that. I would, I would love that. And Jonah had that kind of power through what God had for him. And so he preached to these people and they said, okay, we're turning and we're repenting and, 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 and we're going to turn our lives over to God. And so Jonah did that through finally obeying God. And most of the time, that's where we stop with the story of Jonah. But that's only through chapter three. There's four chapters in Jonah and it's good. All all of that is really good. We can learn some valuable lessons just in that story by itself. We can learn about repentance. We can learn about obedience to the Lord. We can learn about evangelism and the call that God has on our life and it's really awesome stuff but we miss out on on the core of the book because we miss out on chapter four. Because in chapter four, if you read the whole book, we see a prophet who's actually really mad at God in the end because he has shown mercy to Jonah's enemy. We see a prophet who was used by God to do a great work in in a powerful city at the time, to turn their hearts toward repentance. We see all of this, to throw all their idols, to cast them at the foot of, of God. We see a prophet who is utterly depressed because of God's mercy on this city, that he would rather die than to keep living. So how on earth do we go from chapter two where Jonah is in the belly of the fish saying, I called out to the the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and he, he, he heard my voice. How do we go from that, from that beautiful psalm of thanksgiving to Jonah in chapter four saying, I'm angry with you, God. I'm so angry that I wish that I was dead. How do we go from that to, to this, this, 
this, this prophet who is just utterly upset with God. And to me, this is a fascinating question because it gets at the core of what this book is all about. It gets to the core of the message of Jonah. And the core, I believe, is that justice and mercy belong solely and ultimately to God and not to man. Justice does not belong to good people. Mercy does not belong to good people alone. But ultimately, justice and mercy and God's grace belongs to God alone. Because really here, what we see, Jonah, he's asking the inverse question, the age-old question that many of you might have asked before too. Why does God let bad things happen to good people? And Jonah's asking the flip side of that. He's saying, why does God allow good things to happen to bad people? That's what Jonah is asking. And from Jonah's perspective, we can kind of make sense of this a little bit when we, when we learn a little bit about what the Ninevites were like, right? I can't really share up on this stage right now the things that they did to people. They were gruesome. They were terrible. It was downright awful. It's unimaginable what they did, particularly to, the, to Jonah's own people and to the surrounding people. And so, of course, I'm kind of with Jonah then. God, you want me to go to Nineveh where I might die the most gruesome way that I could possibly imagine? You want me to go there and then preach forgiveness to them? I might die. And even more than that, I don't want their hearts to turn to you ultimately. Right? That's what Jonah's saying. They are so bad, God, that they don't deserve your grace. No mercy. Please, God, don't do that. That is what Jonah is saying. You know, there's only been a couple times in my life that I've been really, really mad at someone. It doesn't happen too often, thank goodness. But, but you know, me and my family, we've never had someone that have, that have hurt us so deeply that had this long-lasting effect on our life. You know, I haven't been mad at someone for a long time where it, it comes to the point where I wouldn't want to see God's mercy on that person. But I can imagine, and I know that there are people even here today that have had an experience like that, that have some, someone did something to them that is, that is utterly unimaginable. It's despicable. It's filled with sin and hate. It's just absolutely gruesome. And so maybe you can identify with Jonah in that way. You have this hatred for someone, this tangible expression of, of, of all the things that you wish you could do to them. And maybe sometimes, like Jonah, you'd rather just absolutely be dead than see God's mercy ex- displayed to this person that did something so horrible to you. I think in the face of, of, of bitterness, God has a question for Jonah and he has a question for us as well. And I love this question. I love how the ESV puts this question. It says, and the Lord said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry, Jonah? Do you do well, Jonah? Are you well, Jonah? That is what God is asking Jonah. And it's not a sarcastic question at all. It's a revealing question question. And I I often hear this kind of stuff at the hospital, right? A woman recently told me about a conversation that she had with a patient who, this patient was just gripped with the the addiction of alcohol. And and this man began to tell her that, you know, Christianity, it's just, it's just illogical. It's not really for me. And so she listened and she was talking to him and she basically asked him, you know, how's the logic of alcohol doing for you? And he had to be honest. He said, it's not doing very well for me at all. You know, in other words, whether you are addicted to alcohol or whether you're addicted to this bitterness or addicted to whatever it is that just, that just grips your soul, this bitterness and hate, maybe like Jonah, the question that God's asking you and asking me and asking people in hospitals everywhere, how is that going for you? How is that 
for you? How's it working? Are, are you connecting more with, with, with God in all this? Are you connecting? Are you, are you finding that you're, you have a rich and a, an abundant life in your relationship with Jesus? How's your obedience going with the Lord? How are you doing? Is that working out for you? And I think like addictions today or to anything, right? Pick whatever it is. They all lead us to the same place where we all at some point are gonna get to a point where if we follow down this road of, of things that don't bring life to us but, but take us further away from God, we get to a point where we would say, you know, it's better for me to be dead than to live. And I know that some of us have been in those places before in our lives. We've been in those places that have just been, that we've been bound up by things. And, and some of you have been in the, in, in the belly of the fish. Some of you have been there and you have, and, 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 you, and then you've been spit out onto the sand and you haven't looked back yet. And you can pray and you can join with Jonah in his prayer of thanksgiving in, in, in chapter two when you called out to the Lord in my distress and he heard my cry and he answered me. But I know there's probably some others here this morning that are, that are still bound by this sin, that they're still bound by the things that so easily ensnare us, by their brokenness, by our separation from God. And you can't get past that first phrase, right? In that prayer, you can't get past the, the phrase, I called out to the Lord in my distress. And you are still waiting to hear from the Lord, something from him. You're waiting for God to be able to finish your prayer and so that you can say, and he answered me. And so let me be really clear about this because I believe God's word is clear about this. Church, if you or someone you love is stuck in the belly of the fish because of bitterness, it's put you there. You're just stuck. You can't move anywhere. Always remember, always remember that your bitterness can and it will never outdo God's grace for you. Lay down your sword of anger, of bitterness, and relent to the relentless grace of Jesus who is calling you out of that belly of the fish, who is calling you, who is listening, who is answering your cry. Because guys, he wins every single time. Not at your expense, but always for his glory. Another really awesome illustration of this, of this is found in the New Testament. And we go to the, the story of the prodigal son. It, it lines so well up with the story of Jonah. And, and some of you know the story, I'm sure, of the prodigal son. This guy goes out and he just does all the things that he wish, that he wants to do. He takes all of his inheritance. He says to his dad, you're, you're as good to me as dead, so just give me your money, give me my inheritance. And he goes and he, swan, and he squanders all of it. And then he comes back, right? He realizes what he has done and, and, and instead of the belly of the fish, he ends up in, in, in the pen of pigs, right? And that's where he has his moment where he realizes, I need to go back to the father. I need to run back to my father's arm. And we know the story, right? The, the father just comes and embraces him. He hikes up his, clo his cloak and he just runs after his son. And he says, okay, guys, let, let's kill the best, the best meat we have so that we can celebrate. For my, my son was once lost and now he is found. It's a time of... Of celebration. It was awesome news. And so this prodigal son embraced the grace of his father, much like Jonah embraced the grace of, of, of God in, in the belly of that fish. But then the story keeps going, and this is where I think it follows Jonah's story beautifully. It says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and, ha and asked him, What's going on here? 
Your brother has come, the servant replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf. He he has come back safe and sound. So the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and he pleaded with him. He said, but he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed you. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property and and with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And I trust that the message here is pretty clear. The older son consumed with the bitterness of his self-righteousness cannot accept what God's grace has done in his brother's life, in the prodigal son's life. Jonah, consumed with bitterness, cannot accept what God's grace has done in the wicked people of Nineveh. And we see it in in Jonah chapter 4. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Jonah is saying, listen, God, this is exactly why I left. I went to Tarshish because I knew you were going to do this. For I knew that you are a gracious God, Jonah says, and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. How silly does that sound? Right, God, I told you. I told you that this was going to happen. I told you that you were going to be gracious. I told you that you were going to be slow to anger. I I, I told you you were going to be gentle with these people. I told you you were going to be God, and I'm not happy about that. I told you you were going to be steadfast in your love for them. That's like saying to your spouse, man, you did it again. I knew you were going to go pick up the laundry. I knew you were going to buy me some flowers. I knew you were going to wake up in the middle of the night with those kids. I knew you were going to love me. I knew that, ah, spouse, why are you doing that? Why are you being who you said you, you, you should be? You know, it sounds silly. It sounds really, really silly. Like, what is Jonah doing here? But now imagine that scenario with your spouse, except imagine that but your spouse is, is someone who you just can't stand anymore. That both of you have let your relationship get to the point where it's just so toxic and you can't talk to, to each other without getting into an argument. Just spiraled out of control and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, your, your, your spouse starts to apologize, starts to take ownership for things, starts connecting with the Lord again in a really meaningful way. They genuinely start attending to your needs. They start to love you with the love of Jesus. And, and they're not staying out with their friends anymore, but they're actually present when it comes to family time. Imagine, imagine the circumstances in that case. You see, Jonah, just like that, Jonah cannot handle the fact that the mercy and justice did not belong to him, but rather it belonged to God. And so he holds on to that bitterness instead of grace. He doesn't give it, his spouse a chance to, to, to prove that, that, that there has been a big work in their life. He doesn't give them a chance at all. He can't see it at all. He can't see that he is, that he, he is no better than those people of Nineveh. He can't see that he himself is in need of God's grace as well. He couldn't handle the fact that his story was actually meant to be a mirror for himself. He needed God's grace as well. He needed to repent just like the people in Nineveh. He too needed God's graciousness, his kindness, and his slowness to anger. You see, the book of Jonah 
it ends on this really sour note. It's really weird. If, you've, if you go to the end of Jonah, you read through it, it just, it doesn't feel right when you first read it. It's not a Hallmark channel, right? You don't, you don't, you don't watch that, that movie and the girl and the guy don't get together with that certain moment, that magical moment where they kiss and you just knew it was coming. That doesn't happen in the story of Jonah at all. There's no special moment at all. There is just depression, there's bitterness, and there is hate. And so we're on a series in hope right now. And so you might ask, Chris, where, where on earth is the hope in all that? Well, let me tell you, there is a lot of hope when it comes to the book of Jonah. And you might have picked up on it throughout. If you read Jonah, you cannot read this book without seeing God's relentless, all-surpassing, beautiful grace that comes to people when they need it the most. His grace for the wayward people of Nineveh. His grace for the sailors that threw Jonah overboard. His grace for Jonah while he was in the whale. His grace for Jonah while he was hot and he put the, the, the shade of the plant around him. God's grace for Jonah, even when he spit in, in, in God's face, basically telling him, hey, you're not properly doing your job at, at displaying grace to the right people. Right? God continually showed his grace over and over and over again in this book, even when Jonah didn't want to accept it. And what we learn is that you really can never separate God's sovereignty from his justice and his mercy. When we see this picture of justice and mercy smashed together, we just can't help but look at the cross we see this sovereign God in the person of Jesus becoming sin, becoming that injustice, becoming separated from God even, even when he knew no sin so that we might be called the righteousness of God. There is nothing fair about that. There's no necessarily justice for Jesus on the cross. But that injustice of sin, both corporate and both our personal stuff, put him on that cross and it was carried by the sovereign king. The king in whom all justice and mercy belongs, to whom all salvation belongs, to whom and through whom we all have eternal life. Where we can lay down our crowns and we can exchange our bitterness for wholeness. You know, Jesus used Jonah as well in the Gospels, when he was talking to the self-righteous Pharisees, he used Jonah to point them to the truth of the resurrection. So even in the end, Jonah's story was a part of Jesus' story as he told the world that, that, that there is eternal life in him, that he is the savior, that he is the one that we can throw all of our sin onto, who loves us so much and who has died for each of us. May we not hold on to the bitterness, but we may just lay down our crowns at the, at the feet of the king, the sovereign king in whom all justice and mercy belongs. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are God and that I'm not. Thank you that you know when mercy needs to be displayed on someone and when justice needs to be displayed. And so God, I pray for the folks that are going through those hard times now that, that, that are having a hard time of seeing your goodness and your sovereignty. Lord, I pray that you would remind them that you are sovereign, God, and that you do care about them. That even as they might be in the pit of despair, Lord, that there is a, there is a plant, God, that is growing over them to shade them. And God, may we all turn our hearts in repentance and in honor of you. And we do all this in Jesus' name. Amen.